<laughs> All right. So Acts 20, verse 25 and 38. Let's just read that, and then you guys get a little context because we're going to be doing part two of an example of a great leader. So you guys know that uh, you probably, like me, I watch the news uh, here and there about every week just to, just to find out kind of the headlines, what's going on in the world. And a lot of you know that whether it has to do with leadership in the world or leadership in the church, that leaders are the success of an organization or a success of a country rises and falls on the back of leadership. Amen? It all comes down to leadership. And that the Bible is full of examples of good and bad leadership. In fact, you see Jesus and the Pharisees, or you see Paul and the, and the false teachers, the, his enemies. Also, the qualifications of leadership is very clear. There, how many know that Paul made it very clear what leadership, good leader, biblical leadership is? In 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 3, he gives the qualifications of elders. Now, in the New Testament, we know that Ephesians 2.20, we've talked about this many times, but Ephesians 2.20 said that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. Now, what does that mean? Big A, apostles, and big P, prophets, those guys in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the, the com- combination of that revelation birthed the church. And what that means is, is throughout the Gospels, Acts, and then the Epistles, we have the full revelation of God. In fact, not only that, but we do have prophecy. And you have prophecy literally in your hands right now as you got your Bibles open. What is that prophecy? Revelation, right? Has revelation come true? No. Not yet, but it will. So we still have prophecy in our hands. We still have the prophetic word in our hands. God's given us that. He's given the church, apostles and prophets, to be the foundation of the church, but also he's given us teachers and pastors and evangelists. You guys share the gospel weekly. We have teachers who teach the word of God. We have pastors who pastor the flock and life group and and discipleship. But I think it's great and it's worth noting what are these qualifications of elders? Because isn't it interesting towards the latter half of Paul's life, Paul said this, he said, he said not to raise up apostles or raise up prophets, but he said raise up what? Elders in every city. He said that to Titus, he said that to Timothy. This is towards the latter half of his life. This is how Paul understood how the church is to be run by good, godly leaders. And so if you pick up with me, put your finger by Acts 20, but you can turn to 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 3 to read with me. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his his own household, well, then how is he going to take care of the house of God? And not a new convert. There's protection in this leadership. 
so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. In other words, don't just lay hands on young leaders because we've, we've even made mistakes in that. We've learned the hard way. And he must have good, a good reputation with those outside the church. Not compromising, not man-pleasing, but also not going around and making a mess of his life so people think he's unfit. So that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Also, deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be, for, be first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they be, are beyond reproach. Then women must be likewise, be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have ser- served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, God didn't leave us in the dark about who and what a godly leader looks like. What's sad is when churches don't take this seriously, right? That we, we've got to take these, these passages seriously. In fact, what we were just talking about earlier about uh, during our offering time when I was up here, talking about how it's important for intercessors to rise up and pray for the church in fact, those intercessors need to stick their nose into 1 Timothy 3 and also Titus 1, 5 to 9 and pray for godly leaders, right? We need you. Because if this is that important, if God says, look, it, the, the organization, the churches, the world rises and falls on the back of leadership, then I'm telling you, we need to pray for leaders. We need to pray them in. We need to pray for the maintenance of the the leadership that God would continue to work through them. How many of you know this year from what you've seen in the news, we talked about musical chairs of how leaders, when the music stops in every month or year or week, you find somebody else falling either from the secular world or from the church. That serves as a warning constantly saying, hey, don't just say, oh, we're better than them. That'll never happen to us. Nope, that's not what it's for. It serves as a warning that that too can happen to you and to us. That it's important to pray and we'll see in a moment here that leaders are to be accountable and honored. Titus 1.5 says this, he adds to the list. I'm not gonna read it all, but I'll just read a portion of it. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sore game, hospitable. And listen to this, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast to the word. I love that, holding fast the faithful word. You want leaders to hold fast to the word of God. You want leaders to be like, man, that is a man of God. He loves the scripture and that produces confidence and trust in a church at the life group level, at every level of leadership in the church so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine so that you get the good stuff. You want people to be in the word of God, studying the word of God so that you benefit from it. 
to say, ah, you know what? I just want to like them. I just want them to be funny and entertaining. You know who suffers the most? You do. You will. And that's why it's important to pray because I am also weak. I covet your prayers. I love it the most when someone says, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm believing with you. Or sometimes when they even encourage, it's like, oh, I'm so thankful for this or whatever. I'm like, please, if you were encouraged by that, it's probably because somebody was praying for me. So I, I enlist you now in the army of prayer. I need you so that you refute those who contradict. In other words, it becomes not only a mechanism to feed the flock, but it also becomes a mechanism to protect the flock from error. James 3.1, this is what terrifies me every day. Let not many of you become teachers knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. Sometimes we're like, well, the leader just needs more accountability. They need more accountability, more accountability. You don't think that's enough? You're putting more stake in man than in God? 1 Timothy 5.20 says, those who continue in sin, he's talking about leaders, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. In other words, if you have a platform in any form of leadership and you're in sin, you will be held accountable by God and he will use his people to keep you accountable to error. And also, the higher up you go, the more risk of you falling pretty bad, right? I mean, it's just, if I'm standing right here, obviously on this platform and I fall down because I'm elevated higher, maybe for the purpose of teaching, I'm not better, but understand that if I'm elevated higher for the purpose of teaching, then if I'm in error, I'm gonna fall more and and destroy more. So I have to have these accountability mechanisms around me and Paul understood that. But the best motivation is the Lord himself, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of right choices. 1 Timothy 15, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5, 17, you see the accountability side, but also the honor side. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, that's not self-serving. I'm just saying for all of our teachers, for all of our elders, for all of our people, but especially those who work hard and study and preaching and teaching, they are worthy of double honor. Why? Because Paul said, hey, look, you benefit from that. Again, and then we'll read later a passage from Hebrews 13 that speaks about be a cup of cold water to them, so to speak, because you again will benefit from that. Now we know it's important. Leaders are so important for the church. And really, I want a whole church that understands the importance of it, the the gravity of that, and let that thrust you into prayer not to be a cop. Amen? Not to be a cynical cop. You know, always wondering, you would be better off praying Believing and trusting in the sovereignty of God and trusting that God is our shepherd, our ultimate shepherd of the flock, and he will take care of his sheep. But he does have earthly under shepherds to care for the flock, but you need to pray for them and pray that God would use them powerfully for your benefit. Amen? And not to look at them is 
bigger than they need to be. So as you turn to Acts 20, you're seeing the farewell address. Basically what Paul was saying here was that, all right, I have this, this last message to the Ephesian leaders. And I, this is the last words that he gives to them. And how many know that the last words of anybody towards a group of people are very important? And we pick up with verse 25. It says, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Now the kingdom of God is a broader umbrella than just the gospel. The gospel message is that you're a sinner. Jesus provided a way to be right with God. And if you trust in him, you'll have eternal life. But the kingdom of God is a broader umbrella and, and includes his rule and reign over all the earth that we want his rule and reign over all the earth. And we understand that the ruler of this age, small g, the devil, is in charge in some degree. He is influencing, he, he, he is allowed to influence the earth and deceive many. But we want God's rule and reign in this church. We want God's rule and reign in our families and in our marriage. And in the God's rule and reign and the kingdom of God includes his word infiltrating every part of our life. We want God's rule and reign in our country and the leadership of our country. We want God's rule and reign. He preached the whole counsel of God. He preached the kingdom of God, which includes, of course, the gospel message. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Because we talked about last week, Ezekiel 33, I think it is. Um, Yeah, 33, 7 and 9. We talked about him being a watchman. Now what that means is if you know somebody is in error, whether at a workplace or in the church, and you see somebody making a mess of their life and they're gonna go down in a ditch, the blood will be on your hands if you don't say anything. Now that doesn't mean that you're gonna be thrown into hell as a believer. No, you can't. You're, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. You're saved and you'll be going to heaven. But there's loss of rewards and blessings on earth. And our heart as a believer should want the best for people. We want them to have the truth, right? So Paul said, look, I didn't shrink back, nor I was, and I'm innocent of all blood, meaning that in every situation, Paul decided that it was more important to preach the word of God than to please man. Amen? He rather live with the feeling of rejection from man than the feeling of withholding the truth. And that should be for all of us, right? For I did not shrink from declaring to you, it's the famous passage, right? Acts 20, 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, or in some translates, the whole counsel of God. And that includes the gospel, but includes the whole kingdom, includes the whole counsel, 66 books of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We care about the whole counsel. Sometimes, you know, we have these little proof texts in our life, right? Amen? And we're like, well, this is what it says here. Ah, but you forgot that what it says here. (laughs) Scripture interprets Scripture, right? That's important. And what that does is it keeps us humble. It says, you know what? I'm confident here in the Word of God. I have conviction here. We talked about conviction last week. I have conviction here. That's important. But I also know that there's parts of the Bible that I don't know. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a learner. Disciple means a learner, right? And we're all disciples of Jesus. We're all constantly learning the word. Guys, one of the worst things you can do is give in to pride. 
you'll be opposed every time by God. There's so much we don't know. I'm telling you, the more I study this book, I'm like, I know nothing. What am I doing up here? Really? I, I'm, I'm like, I'm studying all week. I'm like, this is incredible stuff. And then when I'm just talking to my wife or other people throughout the way, I feel like I can't get anything out of my mouth. I feel like I'm, I can't find my keys. I can't talk. I can't, I can't do anything. <laughs> and I feel like, there's just so much more. And I want to know God more through his word. And I want to be careful of just proof texting everything. Uh, because your theology is never perfect. You're always growing. I mean, 20 years from now, I'm going to say, hey, what'd you learn? Oh, nothing, man. I, I'm, I've, been, I've been good for 20 years. Really? What? Did you read the Bible? No, man. I, 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 I'm, I got the kingdom. I'm saved. I'm good. You would look at that person like, what is wrong with that is, you? They missed out for the last 20 years of their life. We go from glory to glory. Why would you want to miss out on that? It's a wonderful thing just to eat this word, as Jeremiah said. Just devour it. Study it. Get yourself a study Bible and study it. He was faithful the first, of, the first priority, if you're taking notes, there's six priorities today. Just pray that we get through all of them. <laughs> Paul's foundational key to leadership and in producing strong churches was to honor the word. He honored the word, number one. Honored the word. He didn't shrink back at all. He preached the whole council. In fact, Acts 26, 22 to 23 says, so having obtained help from God, I stand to you this day, testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. In fact, even the revelation that Paul gave, it was, could be found in the Old Testament law and the prophets. And so even there was, it's not like just random revelation that Paul was giving, Right? But that Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jews or Jewish people and to the Gentiles. His whole life was the word and he knew he was writing scripture. In fact, he says that in multiple different places. But let's pick up later here in verse 28. Be on guard. We'll stop. There's lots to say about this one, Okay. There's a few pages in my notes for this one. Be on guard is so important. When's the last time someone told you in life group, you know what I want you to do? I want you to be on guard for your relationship with God. Do you know the first priority for any leader is to protect their intimacy with God? You need to protect that prayer life, protect that time with God. That is the most important thing in your life. If you don't have that, you have nothing. You might know everything about the scriptures. You might know chapter, verse, place, all that stuff, all the Greek words, all the Hebrew words. But if you don't protect that precious, intimate relationship with God, you have nothing. Because why? Because we could see that in the life, the pitiful life of the Pharisees, right? It's horrible just to look at them. Is, is the blind leading the blind, right? 
Matthew twenty two thirty five says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. How are you doing with that, by the way? Oh, I love God. Really? With all your heart? Oh, I mean, not with, okay, fine, not with all the heart. With all my soul? Really? Okay, let's talk about with all your emotions, with your mindsets, are they all in line with the, with, the, with the scriptures? With all your strength? Everyone should say no in this room. You know how much freedom that is when you say no? To say, God, I want to love you with all my heart. I can't. I can't love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I want to, though. The sign of a believer is saying, I want to, but I can't. And by the strength of his power, I will. Amen? Psalm 27, 4 says this, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. How is that going? Is he honestly the one thing in your life? We don't want a church full of superficial religious people. That is not fun and does not honor God. But rather people who are honest and know where the power comes from. God, I know that the one thing on your heart is for me to want you. But again, here I find myself wandering. Please help me again. That's the true Christian life. Not this boastful like, I know God. My God, you know, these, these people on TV drives me crazy. My God your God. Really, what in the world are you talking about? My God does this. My God told me this. My God told me that. What are you talking about? You ever hear that before? Todd White is one of them. Just my God, my God, this God, that God. I mean, he, that's all he does over and over and over and over again. By the way, he's our God. The God of the scriptures. And we can all know him. But when we humble ourselves, we humble ourselves and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. Would you reveal yourself to me through the scriptures? Amen? Let's not turn into arrogant people saying like, I know God, this special relationship with, I have a better relationship because he speaks to me this way and I have the, we, did you ever notice that in the church? Guard yourself that precious intimacy between you and God and don't compare yourself with other people. Don't, don't give in to that. It's so easy to give in to that. It really is. And to say, wow, you know, I wish I was with, like that guy. We should never do that. Even in church history, you're, you, he's created you uniquely and he wants relationship with you personally and he wants to reveal scriptural to you personally. Not so that you could go around saying, well, my God showed me this. But rather, this is a unique relationship with you. It says in Matthew 6, close the door and your father who's in secret will reward you in secret. You don't have to flaunt your relationship with God. Amen? I mean, when you fast or when you pray or when you give, just be confident in this, that God is who he is and he will reveal himself through the scriptures. Second, Second Corinthians, so this was Paul's warning. And the reason why I said guard yourself, because in other places in scripture, he says this, 
2 Corinthians 11.3, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity devotion to God. Amen? Do you ever feel like that? Just the, that the, we lost the simplicity of just our relationship with him. In fact, we picked that up with Jesus even saying to Martha, or Martha saying to the Lord, he said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. She's complaining to Jesus. <laughs> the Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And understand, that's true of all of us, right? Matthew 6, we're worried about a lot of stuff. But only one thing is necessary. Talk about a relief and the way God removes anxiety from our life. There's so much to worry about. And usually we're worrying about something that's not today at 11 p.m. It's usually tomorrow. And what did, God, what did Jesus say? Worry about today. For tomorrow has what? Its own worries. But if you seek first the kingdom, he'll add everything else onto you. Just keep your eyes focused on him. But Mary has chosen the good part for the record. Jesus put this in scripture because he wanted to say, for the record, work is good. You need to work in the kitchen. Can you imagine me telling my wife, like, hey, you know what? Jesus just said the one thing that matters is for me to sit on the couch and, and talk to him. That's not gonna go well in our marriage. But it's true in scripture, isn't it? Right? It's valid. I can quote that if I wanted to. But it'd be a little bit out of context, I'd say. My kids would pick up on it. There'd be a generational curse. <laughs> but, but the one thing is necessary if, and it's not even saying to pick between, like, should I do the dishes or should I be with Jesus? Have it ever occurred to you that perhaps he was telling Martha, you could do the dishes with me. You could put me in the center of your life and seek me while you work. And that is the one thing that I want you to seek all the time. No matter what you do in your life, no matter what you're doing in your workplace, no matter what, how you're, no matter what you do, parenting, driving a car, keep me at the center. Guard your relationship with me. Amen? Let's not lose that as a church. John Owen said this, reformer, a minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty that he is no more. In other words, what he's saying is if, if the pastor neglects prayer or the, our, our leaders neglect prayer, we will suffer. That is the one thing in Acts 6, 4 is the, the prayer and the ministry of the word. Protect that. Whether you're a leader, a housewife, a worker in the, in the marketplace, whatever you might be, find yourself, please protect the relationship with God. He's telling the Ephesian leaders, do not neglect, this is his first command, guard yourself. Horatius Boner, which is a pastor, said, be much alone with God. Do not put him off with a quarter of an hour morning and evening. Take time to get thoroughly acquainted. Talk everything over with him. Pour out every thought, feeling, wish, plan, and doubt to him. He wants 
to, uh, wants to converse with his creatures, shall his creatures not want to converse with him? He wants merely to be on good terms with you. In fact, it's, I think it's totally right to say, God, I miss you. You know what? The, the reality is, I, I think God at times says, I miss you. You know a lot about me, but you don't know me. You don't know my heart. If one may use man's phrase, but to be intimate. Shall you decline the intimacy and be satisfied with mere acquaintance? I think some of us feel like that. We're no longer friends, but we're acquaintances. Let's not downgrade our relationship with God. Let's upgrade it to greater realms of intimacy. What? Intimacy with the world, with friends, with neighbors, but not with God? That would look ill indeed. Folly to prefer the clay to the potter, the marble to the sculptor, this little earth and its pre- uh, preference, the clay, I'm sorry, with this little earth, lesser creatures to the mighty maker of the universe, the great and all in all. Not only protect your relationship with God, but also protect your faith. Protect your faith. I think we, it's worth saying that what we just talked about earlier today during our offering, that we need to protect that place of faith in our lives. He says this multiple times, Jesus says in Mark 13 and then Luke 21, he says, be on guard for these people who are my enemies will deliver you in the courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. In other words, there's, with all the pressures and all the things happening in your life going on, you need to protect your relationship with God. And you know what, as spouses, we need to tell our spouse, that, our wife, or husband, and say, how is that relationship with God going? How can I help in any way? And encourage them to be intimate with God. Same thing with your kids. And my kids will tell you, you know, a lot of times their, their uh, consequences are, I just, I say, give me the Bible. And I go, go to the back of the Bible and I look in the concordance, you know, in the back, and whatever they're struggling with, it's amazing how it's in the concordance. Oh, thankful, lack of thankfulness. Let me just go let, me go, to, let me go to thankfulness. And they know. They'll be writing like 20 verses on thankfulness. It works. Because the Lord's words are much more profound and it's a living and active sword. You need to protect your relationship with God. I don't think we're gonna get to many others, I'll probably have to do part three to next Sunday. And I won't get to Acts 21, bummer. But I'll, I'll tell you that this, if you, if you walk away with anything, I think it's important as we head into the summer and, and into the fall season, your relationship with God is the most important thing you have. I know some of us probably feel like we're distant from God. We know the word, but we feel distant. The only way to close that gap is prayer. And sometimes we get so much into prayer and we're all over the place. I feel God, God's there. I feel like this. I feel like this. You feel, feel, feel. That's wonderful. I'm glad you're talking to God. But please, have, may the foundation be the word of God. You're gonna constantly battle that, that balance for the rest of your life. Get used to it. 
I mean, that's why I think Paul said in Acts 6, 4, is that the, my whole job is prayer and the ministry of the word. That I, I, meaning that what he's saying is my, my job is, that is my job as a pastor, but us as, a, as, 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 as I guess you can say as congregants, as, as people of God, children of God, that's our mandate, is prayer and the ministry of the word. Let me finish this up. uh, Protect your integrity. He is not only telling them about protecting your relationship with God, meaning the intimacy, but also protect your integrity. Examine yourself. We think that's, you know, isn't it interesting that if you remember maybe about a few weeks ago, we had a powerful moment before we took communion. I really wish we could do this every week. I think we should, but just, if you guys want to be 10 minutes extra. Yeah, no problem. Okay. It's always the same guy saying that, but, you know, but, <laughs> but, um, you know what I love about communion is it says to examine yourself. I would make an argument that we need to do that every day. I don't know about communion, but we need to examine ourselves every day. Every day. Jonathan Edwards did before he went to bed. He would examine himself. He was so sensitive to even his eating habits. He said, Lord, oh, did I eat anything that would dishonor you? Did I overeat at all? Did I eat anything that just out of pleasure? And like gluttony, he was talking about gluttony. Are we that sensitive in areas that displease the Lord? Those just small little things, little foxes that ruin the garden. That's so important to be sensitive like that. He was, of course, talking, guard yourself. He was talking to the leaders in this context. He was saying, guard yourself because understand that if you don't guard yourself, how will the flock? The leaders take the first step. We need to lead lives of integrity. And all of us, you can make an argument, are leaders of our own life and in our own homes in our own households, whether that's uh, in your D houses or your own homes with your family. When Second Chronicles 19, 6 and 7, he said, he said to the judges, consider what you're doing for you do not judge for, the man, for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do for the Lord your God, your God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality for taking of a bribe. Malachi 2, 6 and 7, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. That's what a leader is. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. There's intimacy. And turned many away from iniquity. That's leadership. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. In other words, we should come saying, oh, I can't wait to hear from our leaders because they're right with God. And when they're right with God, they will hear God and speak his truth and people will be transformed for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. First Timothy 4, 6, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Preserve in these things, persevere in these things for as for you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. In Psalm 139, 23, I don't know how many times I've prayed this, probably you the same, right? Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my anxious thoughts. 
Just m- please tell me if there's anything offensive. We need humble leaders. Confident. Men of conviction. Women of conviction. And how you get conviction is this. The knowledge of the word, that turns into belief. And that belief turns into a conviction. And that conviction turns into affection. That's why you can be passionate for God's word. You're like, why are you so passionate? Because I have a conviction. How did you get conviction? Why I believe the word. How do you believe the word? I read the word. Right? For everybody in the room. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Therefore I run in such a way, not as to, without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air aimlessly, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Colossians 4, 17 Archippus said, Paul said to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. In other words, what you start, make sure you finish it. How do you finish it? Be a man of integrity. Hebrews 12, you guard your relationship with God, you guard your intimacy, you guard your integrity. Hebrews 12, 15, this is huge for every leader. This is huge for every person. And how many times have you seen leaders just bite the dust or leave or fall apart because of bitterness. See to you that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. 2 Timothy 2, 20, 21. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver, silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful, to the master prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And with those who call on the Lord from a what? A pure heart. A pure heart. Don't you guys want leaders who know the word? But you also, don't you want leaders with integrity? Last scripture. 2 Corinthians 1.12, for our pride confidence in is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshy wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially towards you. What is he saying? What is the greatest gift that God has given us? One of the greatest gifts? Our conscience. Isn't it interesting that you read in, uh, in Samuel that God gave an evil spirit to Saul? Why? Because of his disobedience, because of his pride. But you're thinking, well, what is the evil spirit? As you look in the Hebrew, the evil spirit's not necessarily just, it's not talking about just that he just threw a demon on him and now he's off, you know, with having affairs and gallivanting around the 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 world and sinning. No, no, no. The evil spirit was torment. It was a conscience that was constantly seared. It was constantly tormented in the mind like, I'm not right with God. I, 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 you know, just the, the thoughts that are not of the Lord, they're just, they were messing with Saul and the only thing that can sue them was a godly man playing a violin, a harp, an instrument, I'll tell you, the best thing that you can have is a clean conscience. 
is to know God and to know him intimately, to, to, to go to bed at night with rest, to be at rest in the car, to, to be at rest in the workplace, to know he loves you, to know he's given the cross and, the, and has shed blood for you, to know there's grace and mercy towards you, to know that he loves you and he's purchased everything for you at Calvary. But not only that, that he wants relationship with you. That's why he went through all that trouble. And to know when I sin, I have an advocate, a lawyer, defense lawyer with the father. And I could just go to him 24 hours a day. And what that does is it gives me a clean conscience in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that when I sin, I could do business with God and I could go before the people with a clean conscience, knowing that I have been washed clean by the word of God every single time. That is a gift that the world does not have, right? They're constantly being tormented in their mind. What are they constantly fearful of? Death. They're fearful of death. And Hebrews, it says that Jesus also conquered the last remaining enemy, which was death. There's nothing to fear. So protect that relationship with God. Protect that conscience of yours. Protect the intimacy. Protect the integrity that you have because that's all you have. Everything might be stripped away. Leadership, everything might be stripped away from your life. Houses, money, fame, this and that, whatever you might, friendships, whatever it might, I don't know what the future holds in this earth. I have no idea what's gonna happen, but all I know, I mean, Jesus said it, right? I mean, you might be whisked, you know, might be called before the courts and flogged in the synagogues and, and, and people might be after your life, but I will give you this. I will give you the, my words in front of man. The only way you can have those words is if you know the scriptures and you're in right relationship with him. Amen? Richard Baxter said this, an old reformer, take heed to yourselves lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others. Unless you be guilty of that which you daily condemn others, it is easier to chide or to nag others for their sin than to overcome it yourself. And this pastor said this, no person, no matter how clever and deceitful, can indefinitely hide a character that is rotten and out of tune with God. John Calvin said, nothing is more difficult to counter than virtue. It demands too much. It demands more than any person has in himself. And when God's divine provision and power are absent, the person or the charade cannot last any longer. You know, and it sounds really spiritual to say that God is interested in a relationship, not the rules, right? We hear that all the time. But it's not biblical, is it? From top, this one person said, from top to bottom, the Bible is full of commands. They aren't meant to stifle a relationship with God, but to protect it, seal it, and define it. That is why we read the word. That is why we study the word, live it out, and preach it, as Ezra 7.10 says. 
I really wish I can do priority three, but I can't. We still have four more to go, but we'll do that next week. Sound good? I don't normally do that or end that way, but I, I just think it's necessary to really dive in deep to Paul's last remaining words to the Ephesians. But I will bring this up uh, because I think it is important as we, and I'll bring it up next week as well. But as I was studying, I noticed that, um, I thought it was actually quite interesting that what happened to the Ephesian church? You might be thinking, well, what does church history say about the Ephesians? I mean, look, Paul gave this, this amazing message to the Ephesian leaders. They were a rock-solid church. He gave Timothy to these guys. Timothy was their pastor virtually, right? Pastor and teacher. He, had, he said, raise up other elders. They were a very solid church. And then you get to Revelation 2, and then you wonder, what in the world happened? What does he say? I'm going to snuff you out, Jesus says. Why? Because they what? They lost their first love. They lost their first love. But I, as I was researching, I noticed that in the second century, Ignatius, a church father, wrote a letter that there was a revival. Really, that's actually kind of rare that they stooped that low. They were such a strong church of love, but then they lost their first love. They kind of fell apart, but somehow they got back to the more important things and there was a revival in the second century and you're thinking, that's amazing. It's only by the grace of God. Sproul said this, that is rare in church history, but it happened in Ephesus. Perhaps it was because under the direction of the Holy Spirit, these words were preserved in sacred scripture. This is Paul's words to them. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In other words, because Paul was an incredible leader and told him these things, that the word would not return void. That this word that God, that, that God had given the Ephesian leaders, that God had given us, even in Antioch here, we're gonna fall on some rough times. There might be things that maybe we've neglected and maybe things that maybe we've neglected for quite some time, maybe a few years or six months, I don't know. There might, we're, I mean, if we're in this thing for the long haul, you could say, well, you know, 10 years ago, we used to do this, this, and this, and man, that was so wonderful, but you know, we've gotten off course. Guys, that's gonna happen. We're not the perfect church. We never will be. We know what we can rely on? His word and his grace. His word and his grace. And I trust that. I trust that you know that. Guard yourself. Guard your relationship with God. Know that as leaders are not perfect. There's, we, we, we tend to swing. We are, we're, we're swinging constantly. You know, I mean, if you just, if I got a pendulum up here, I would just go poof. Like just, just swing it. How many seconds does it remain in the middle? I don't even know if you could say milliseconds, right? Well, let's just say it was going slow if there's such a thing. You know, you might have a few moments where you're just in the center and you're perfectly balanced. But the reality is, I don't think we'll ever be that way. But what I do know and what I trust and what I want this church to trust without a shadow of a doubt is his word and his leadership 
and that he will, when we're out of balance, he will correct us because that's what his word says. And if we learn as a congregation to protect ourselves, protect our, our relationship, our precious relationship that we have in the morning with God every day in his word, and we open up our journals and we pray and we contend and we believe, then we're that much far ahead. And we know, he know, we know that he will raise up shepherds to guide us back into, into place, as he says, restore, which is, just comes from the word, basically from a medical term of a bone getting dislodged or out of place, and he cracks it back in, and we're ready to go again. Amen? All right, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your corrections throughout these last eight and a half years as a church. We thank you, Lord, that you have been such a shepherd 